Welcome to the Christ the King podcast. I am Pastor Michael McGinley of Christ the King Lutheran Church, and we are a congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, coming to you this, the 23rd of October, to celebrate the Feast of St. James of Jerusalem, the brother of our Lord and Apostle. What comes next is the Matin service with the opening hymn, Holy God, We Praise Thy Name.
Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The Lord, the King of the Apostles, O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Never shall be world without end. Amen. The Lord, the King of the Apostles, O come, let us worship him.
These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The first lesson for the Feast of St. James of Jerusalem is written in the 15th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, beginning at the 15th verse. All the multitude kept silence, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul reporting what signs and wonders God had done among the nations through them. After they were silent, James answered, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first visited the nations to take out of them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written, After these things I will return, I will again build the tabernacle of David which has fallen, I will again build up its ruins, I will set it up, that the rest of men may seek after the Lord, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. All of God's works are known to him from eternity. Therefore, my judgment is that we don't trouble those from among the Gentiles who turn to God, but that we write to them that they abstain from the pollution of idols, from sexual immorality, from what is strangled, and from blood. For Moses from generations of old has in every city those who preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, with the whole assembly, to choose men out of their company and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the first chapter of James, beginning at the first verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without any doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. For that man shouldn't think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But let the brother in humble circumstances glory in his high position, and the rich in that he is made humble, because like the flower in the grass, he will pass away. For the sun arises with the scorching wind and withers the grass, and the flower in it falls, and the beauty of its appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is a person who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. 
According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, precious in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Coming into his own country, Jesus taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? They were offended by him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. He didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. When ye stand before kings and princes, take no thought how of what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. For it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. For it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Our epistle begins... James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of, in the dispersion, or the diaspora, greetings. Now, who is James? Why are we listening to him? And why are we celebrating him today? Really, let's address that with the first question. Who is James? And he goes by a few names. He's known as, of course, James, the brother of our Lord. And some will argue this means in the Greek that he's a cousin or a stepbrother of our Lord. But most likely it's that James is a son of Mary and Joseph and a younger brother of Jesus. And what you see in the gospel today, that's about what we know of James. People in Jesus' hometown say that James is Jesus' brother. He's also known as James the Just. You heard that in the prayer a bit ago. James the Just or James the Righteous because the book of Acts and the epistles and the scriptures tell us more about him than the gospels do. Such as he was one of the people that Christ revealed himself to in his resurrection. And Paul calls him, along with Peter and John, the three pillars of the early church. And we know that after Pentecost, when Peter fled Jerusalem to preach to the Gentiles, that Peter named James to be the head of and the bishop to the church in Jerusalem. So that's why he's known as James of Jerusalem. That's where he was bishop for about 30 years. And some, you'll see, whether in our hymnal or other places, they'll call him an apostle. Not in the sense that he was one of the 12, but because he was sent by Peter to be the bishop of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. In the ancient church, he held a position of honor and authority. We saw that in Acts, in the Council of Jerusalem. His judgment is what all the church agreed to. And he was known for his virtue, so he was known to be righteous. But even more so, he was known for his faith in his brother, 
our Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes this epistle to the dispersions, that is the diaspora. Those Christians, the true tribes of Israel, spread and scattered throughout the world, which includes you. And so to the church then and now, James states, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That word meet, it's rather weak in the English. It's much stronger in the Greek. It's not just that you meet trials. But what James is saying is, count it all joy, my brothers, when you are completely and totally surrounded by various trials. Imagine this in military terms. Imagine telling a military unit to be joyful when the numbers are not on their side, when they are not the stronger side, and when the tides of war are not moving in their favor. And then telling them, as they look at all that, as they look at certain death, that they should be excited. That's what James is doing here. He says this to the early church, where they were persecuted and martyred. That was common back then. When they were often gathering underground so the authorities wouldn't know where they met. When they were the poor with little money. When they were surrounded by pagans as they were, themselves were also being thrown out of the synagogues by the Jews. And all this was happening to the early church as various heresies tried to creep into the gathering, creep into the church, and pollute the waters there. And their own flesh felt all of that. And it wanted to cave to it all. Their flesh wanted to embrace what the world was saying so that they could live another day. So James was saying, when you're completely and totally surrounded, count it all joy. He says this to the early church. He says this to you. And today, you could be canceled at any moment for any public comment you made at any time for any purpose. And in the workspace, or in the public square, or even in churches, even at family gatherings, Christians feel they need to be hush-hush, or underground, so to speak, with their beliefs, so that they won't become, so that others won't become irate, or angry, or start an argument, so things won't get heated. And so we feel that. Our flesh feels that when we live or speak our faith, we're risking our jobs, our relationships, our family. I look around you. Our church is not rich. You could say we're well off, but we're not rich. Our operating budget is small. It's a very small percentage compared to even a medium-sized business. Even our schools, they need annual fundraisers to keep their doors open. We're not rich. And we are surrounded by various other beliefs, atheism, paganism, scientism, a cultural re religion that embraces a sexual revolution. As one of you noted, when you leave the parking lot, you're faced with it. A rainbow tree right outside as you leave the church. And all this is what we're surrounded by as various heresies have gripped the church in America to pollute the waters in the church. Go ask people that attend other churches, or that belong to other church bodies. Ask them what they believe about the Trinity. Or about Jesus being God and man and perfect. That Jesus was without sin. Go ask them about the Holy Spirit. If he's actually the third person of the Trinity or a force. Go ask them about God's created order. Or what scriptural social justice actually looks like. Go ask them and you'll hear the heresies. We are surrounded. 
And our flesh wants to cave to those that surround us. It wants to embrace what they have to offer us. Our own flesh would rather us shut our mouths about our, about our beliefs so that we avoid argument. Our own flesh wants us to embrace what's taught at the trainings at work that may not agree with your faith. Our flesh really wants to believe that all these ways get people into heaven. Because then it would be much easier for our lives, wouldn't it? It would help us live another day. And as we, the church, are surrounded by the devil, the world, and our flesh with all their trials and temptations, here is James, the brother of our Lord, telling us to count it all joy. And he goes on. He says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says to count it all joy because when our faith is tested, it produces this steadfastness. Or you could say endurance or long-suffering. Long-suffering is what will make you perfect. It will make you whole. It will make you complete. It will make you so you lack in nothing. That's what James says. It's easy amidst our own temptations to try and dismiss James here because it can sound silly. Or it can all sound and feel like too much, as if James is setting the bar too high here to be joyous when you're surrounded. It, the bar sounds set too high when, especially in the days when it feels like our faith is barely hanging on. But you have to understand, James is not speaking from some high ivory tower. He speaks as one who has suffered himself. He has suffered with others. When James wrote this epistle, he had seen apostles persecuted. He had seen other apostles and deacons and pastors and lay people and congregations persecuted and martyred. He was bishop of a church in Jerusalem amidst the Jews who hated them. This church in Jerusalem looked throughout Acts and Paul's epistles. They always needed financial support from sister congregations, from Gentile congregations. Because they were being persecuted from all sides. When it came to long-suffering, James and the Jerusalem church knew what suffering was. They had been through it. But still, as we read James here, to claim that our steadfastness is what leads to our perfection, that can feel a little bit off. Because it almost hits us like what James is speaking of is that our work in suffering is what leads to leads us to become perfectly righteous. Almost makes it sound merit-based. And so James answers this. He answers this in verse 5. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Earlier James said, The testing of your faith, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You yourself don't produce it. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Long-suffering, or patience, or endurance, whatever you want to call it, is not a fruit of you or your flesh. It is a fruit of the faith which you have been given. So James says here also, along with that, if any of you lacks wisdom, that is, if anybody lacks discernment, or strength, or insight, or anything else while facing trials and temptations, if you notice your weaknesses in those trials and temptations, when you feel at a complete loss for how to prevail through them, 
Notice where James says to turn, not to yourself, rather, he says, let him ask God. So if we lack wisdom, how do we endure in long-suffering? How do we produce patience? How do we keep from being led into all temptation and be delivered from evil? As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, James says, let him ask God. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now we are weak, we are sinful, we are broken. We can doubt, we can oftentimes think, how are we able to ask God as boldly as James tells us to? Because this is bold. James says to ask God and expect it to be given to you. Why would God give generously to us sinners without any reproach, without any scolding, without any punishment for us for what we have done? And if you understand the answers to these questions, if you understand how we're able to ask God as James says, then you understand the, if you, if you understand the answers to these questions, then you can understand James' whole epistle right here. Because then you have to ask yourself, as James states all this, who was it that first was completely and totally surrounded by trials and temptation and death, yet persevered in long-suffering? Notice James's language here. He's not describing just us or himself. First and foremost, he's describing his brother on the cross where his brother was persecuted and nailed to the cross as he was lifted up, where all of his friends deserted him, where he hung in poverty with nothing but the debt of our sins in his possession, where he was surrounded by Gentiles and Jews, Gentiles that mocked him, Jews that blasphemed him. He was surrounded by pagans and heresies, demons and death, our Lord's flesh, which was, what was, which was without sin. It trembled this moment. It swept blood at the thought of the idea of the cross. But yet our Lord, instead of caving to the world and embracing what the world and the devil offered, our Lord took his flesh to the cross for you and me. At the foot of the cross, his mother and others wept all around him because they were at a loss for how he could win. And yet completely surrounded in complete poverty with the world, the devil, and the flesh of mankind against him. Our Lord took his final breath, and he won. That's the reason for all joy. The people at the foot of the cross, they were weeping. They didn't see the joy, but now we do. That's the reason for all joy. He who is wisdom incarnate defeated death with his death. He who is wisdom incarnate crushed the head of the serpent by having his heel bruised. He put our sin away. And in the waters of baptism, with the pure word of God, we have died with him, and we will rise with him. And in the waters, faith has been created in us to embrace him who is this wisdom that we pray for. So then as we are totally and completely surrounded by trials, we do as James says. We count it all as blessing or all as joy. Because so is our Lord completely and totally surrounded by trials. 
We are able to pray to God and be heard in these trials because in baptism we are made righteous in Christ. We're made sons of God in Him. And God the Father, He gives generously to those who are His sons. Every father here knows this. Every father here wants to give generously, wants to give wisdom generously to their sons. So does our Heavenly Father. And when we ask for wisdom, what does our Father give us? He gives us wisdom in forgiveness in baptism, in discernment in the Word, in guidance in the Spirit, in the Spirit, by His Son at this altar for the strengthening of our faith. And here at this altar, we're given patience, endurance, and long-suffering so that in long-suffering we may be perfected, be made complete and whole in His Son by the Spirit. James says, starting in verse 6, But let him ask in faith for wisdom with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Last week we celebrated the 40th anniversary of Christ the King. How did Christ the King survive for 40 years? You're lovely people, but you didn't survive by your brains or your wits or your power or your money or riches or your merits. If your survival depended on any of that stuff, you wouldn't have made it a year. But Christ the King is here. This congregation is here 40 years later because every time she was totally and completely surrounded by trials, and there have been times where this congregation has been surrounded by trials. And every time that's happened, you prayed to God for wisdom. And He did just as James said He would do. He gave you wisdom. And He gave it to you generously. And in this faith which He gave to you, you were not double-minded. That is, you didn't try to straddle making the world happy and making the church happy or God happy. Because if you tried to straddle living in the world and in the faith, well, this congregation would have been tossed about by every cultural wave as some other church bodies have. Those other church bodies that are tossed around by the waves that try to live in both worlds, they can expect to receive nothing. But you now receive generously from God as has been proven in your history. Because you are baptized in His Son, you are made holy by His Spirit. By His Word and sacraments, you are able to, in faith, cling to Christ crucified through every wave and wind and storm of life. You may feel the beating of the storm. We all certainly have. But you will not be driven and tossed about. You will be secure. And not because of anything in yourselves, but because He gives to you generously as He leads you to pray for all you need in the Lord's Prayer. Which if you pray, as James says, you will lack in nothing in the faith. And so as we live surrounded by trials and temptations, James instructs us, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich brother in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. 
James isn't trying to pick on one brother and not the other. These messages are for both of us. You're both the lowly brother and the rich brother. For you Christians who have nothing, you have everything in Christ. He's the one who exalts you. So you boast in your exaltation. What we're saying there is you boast in Christ. Boast in our Lord. And for you Christians, he says, who have riches aplenty. He says, recognize that those riches are fleeting. And even with those riches, you cannot endure the suffering. With nothing in this life or with everything in this life, James tells us to remain steadfast by boasting in Christ crucified alone, who alone is your exaltation. And with this in mind, James finishes his epistle lesson for today, saying, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. These are not empty words from James. He actually lived these words. He died in these words. Because after being bishop of, Jeru of the church in Jerusalem for 30 years, when he was older, his enemies took advantage of an opportunity to kill him. And so what they did is they brought him to the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem, the same spot where the devil tempted our Lord. That's where James was brought. And they threw him off. And after the fall, when he had survived, they then stoned him and beat him to death for all his years of preaching about his brother. So through it all to the point of death, James remained steadfast as he stood the test. His faith in long-suffering perfected him. That is, the Spirit and the Word and the sacraments perfected him in that long-suffering. Because in death he received the crown of life promised to him, which is promised to you. Because by the generosity of his Father in heaven, he was able all his life to cling to his brother, Christ crucified. And by clinging to his brother, he shared in the victory of his brother, with whom he will one day be raised with. That crown is our crown. That promise of the resurrection is ours as well. So then as we leave today, may our Father be as generous in giving us wisdom and steadfastness as he did James. And may James be our example to look always to Christ crucified in suffering so that we too may be perfected in steadfastness. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, Shepherd of your people, you raised up James the Just, brother of our Lord, to lead and guide your church. Grant that we may follow his example of prayer and reconciliation, and be strengthened by the witness of his death. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishments, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. 
cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise, and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.